Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. I'm Kelly O'Mara, your host and editor-in-chief of Triathlete Magazine. Today, we're tackling one of the big questions everyone's wondering. Will triathlons come back this year, and what will they look like when they do? Obviously, there are still a lot of unknowns, but hopefully, industry expert and marketing consultant Peter Abraham can help us try to find some answers. And then, after that, our longer conversation is with Lindsay Corbin, the Ironman champ, American record holder, and many-time top 10 finisher at Kona, talks to us about consistency, how she's trying to be a more well-rounded athlete and person, and what she's calling her current triathlon sabbatical. Be sure to subscribe to the Triathlete Hour on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any of our conversations with key people in the sport. Episodes drop every Wednesday. Here's today's episode six. I'm here with Peter Abraham. Thanks for joining us. And I guess I don't know. I mean, you're a marketing endurance sport consultant expert. What's your official title? Well, that's a good question. I have a <laughs> few of them, Kelly. Um, I mean, I'll give you a, my very quick background is I spent uh, many years producing television commercials and some movies, um, but I was always an outdoor sports athlete. I was a triathlete and a bike racer and a surfer. And so um, I could see uh, in the early to mid 2000s, the world was changing. Um, how I saw how important digital was getting. So I decided to start my own running event in Santa Monica. I then sold that to the LA Marathon and became the CMO there. So I sort of transitioned from being a television commercial producer to a chief marketing officer in sports. And we rebuilt the LA Marathon really around the idea of a mission of inspiring athletes and connecting communities. And since then, I've worked with a variety of brands, maybe half in sports, half in technology and startups, um, kind of helping them tell their story. I serve as like a consultant chief marketing officer and work from strategy through creating content video. And I've kind of worked the full 360 around marketing from being a client to being a production company to being an agency. So I, I like to think I have a kind of holistic point of view around marketing and particularly around endurance sports. Yeah, all I know is whenever I have big industry questions, I just like shoot you an email. So I'm happy to help. So last week I emailed you because I was like, what what do you think is happening with races? What can we expect? And that's kind of the big question I think everyone has right now is what is going to happen to races? Are we going to see big races this year? And kind of are they going to look different? And I know you're, I mean, we talked about a lot of different questions and you're kind of like 50-50 on if we see any big events this year at all. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I might be going lower than 50-50 now. <laughs> At know, this point? Okay. Even since we talked a couple of weeks ago, I've been reading a lot like, you know, Bill Gates had put up a really good post about how long it's going to take develop, to develop a vaccine. And also since then, Gavin Newsom came out with his, um, the governor of California, with his guidelines for getting back to work. And he has a very like kind of a thoughtful four-step process. Step four at the very end is like sports events and concerts. Right, right. And, and, you know, like, look, I'm the first to say I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a doctor. Okay, I'm not an expert in infectious diseases, but I'm just paying attention. And consistently when I um, read interviews or watch them with the real experts on this from Bill Gates to Larry Brilliant to um, there's a really interesting interview in the New York times today with Lori Garrett, who won a Pulitzer prize for her work on infectious diseases, writing about it has been writing about this stuff for decades. It's always, um, I would say way more pessimistic, the experts point of view than people like me who are like, Oh, I can't wait to get back out and race my bike or whatever. Like, <laughs> right. They're always way more pessimistic. And um, so I'm just trying to be realistic here. You know, California's guidance from Governor Newsom was we'll get back to sports and concerts when there are therapies or therapeutics, they called it, which I guess right, like treatments, vaccines, right. that kind of thing. And any version of that is months, if not more than a year away. So, I, you know, I guess yeah. it's possible to come back this year, but I, I'm, I'm getting less and less optimistic about that. 
Right, right. I mean, I think when we talk about big, of, I mean, this we're not talking about small, local, 100-person races. We're talking about the big ones, the major marathons, the Ironmans, the big yeah. races. What are the issues, the questions from like a, a race director and athlete perspective? Right. I th- well, I think number one, um, it's got to be safe, okay, for not only your athletes, but for staff, for, you know, a vendors or like, um, you know, the expo village, anybody who's there all together, <clears throat> it's got to be safe. Um, which I, I guess it can be, but I don't know exactly what that, like, does that mean people are racing in masks? Well, probably not in a triathlon where they have to swim. You right. know, I don't think as, that would work very well. Yeah. No. As, Bob, as Bob Bickle pointed out in your article, triathlons have a little bit of a head start because people already, you know, they're already usually broken into wave starts of smaller groups. And then you go immediately into the swim and then it is very spread out. So in a triathlon, right out of the gate, you're separated as opposed to like a major city marathon. You know, I have run the New York and Chicago marathons and you're never more than like three feet from somebody for 26 miles. I mean, you're you're right, waiting around right. somebody's neck and there's somebody behind you for the entire time. Whereas like triathlons, at least we have drafting rules, right? Like at least you're not supposed to be within 10 meters, whatever it Correct. is on the bike. And, yeah. and once it spreads out on the swim, then it spreads out more on the bike. Then, you know, mostly you're kind of running, riding and running on your own. So I think, um, you know, um, you know, consideration number one is safety. The other thing is you have people traveling in from all over any race, whether it's a triathlon or a running event or a cycling event, there's always people traveling in. So you have people traveling in together and then traveling home. So there's danger there, not only in the traveling, if they're flying, but if somebody should get sick and they go home and infect somebody else, that's a consideration. I think also a consideration that we've talked about a little bit is insurance. Like how does, you know, how does the insurance work? What if somebody gets sick? Is there liability? Um, and again, I don't know. Most, you know, triathlons get an insurance policy from USA Triathlon. Running events get it from USA Track and Field. I have used those um, insurance policies before. They're quite good. They're pretty affordable. Um, but I don't know how they work in this new world. Yeah, and I don't think they know either. I know there are a lot. I talked to you know some lawyers who are expert experts have an expertise in labor law, and you know it's it's tricky. And I think the tricky part is that. The rules vary so much from state to state, region to region, country to country. So how can you, or a thing that's a problem for race directors is how do you say you're doing everything by the rules if the rules change like every day, every week? How do you know what is safe? Like it just, it's a little bit, it's a little bit that there's just so many unknowns right now, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and I think, you know, part of the problem right now, well, I don't know, problem, but a challenge for any business whether you're a restaurant that's trying to reopen or a triathlon is there's no timetable right now for when this is going to be over. Is this, is this two months, six months, a year and a half? You don't know. So it's very hard to make plans. You know, I've been kind of reading about college football lately and they they've got all these different plans in, you know, like, okay, what if um, the kids can come back to school and start practicing in August? That's one plan. Well, but what about if it's not until October, November, that's another plan. What about if fall fall quarter is canceled at schools and no kids or athletes can come back till January? Then what would we do? No fans in the stadium. Okay, but the kids can play. So there's, everybody's got to have like four different balls in the air trying to right. work out in parallel these different plans. I know. I do feel uh, somewhat bad for the very large race organizers like the Ironmans, the, the Rock and Rolls, the New York City Marathon. They have to be juggling so many different pieces right now. It's, it's got to be kind of crazy. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I was thinking about this, like, you know, I think in one sense, every organization, business, government, like in the world was, I think, caught unprepared for this uh, pandemic. On the other hand, let's say you have a race, um, a triathlon of some kind, a marathon. How would you have prepared for this? I don't know what you necessarily would have done. No, I, I don't know either. And and you mentioned some of the things kind of that were mentioned in the article I wrote and that we've talked about, but 
Now they're trying to prepare moving forward and what will races look like moving forward. I mean, you mentioned masks, but masks are nearly impossible in triathlon, but maybe the volunteers are wearing masks, you know, probably eliminating some of the expo in-person registration, more virtual athlete briefings, that kind of thing. Um, Eliminating aid stations and touch points, you know, where there's fewer interactions, uh, a lot more spacing out, you know, in like not corrals where everybody's crammed together at the start. A lot of these things are what like race directors are kind of, trying to plan for now, I think. Yeah, I I think that's right. And um, I think what's hard, though, is we're all human. And I think community contact is built into our DNA as humans. That's why people like to go to concerts, go to restaurants, go to bars, go to races. And I, I just think, you know, personally, when I go to a triathlon or a running event or a gravel race, like, part of what's really fun and appealing for me is connecting with the whole community, talking to people, seeing people. And if it becomes this more sterile, you know, no expo or limited expo, online registration, everybody's separate all the time and less community contact, it just makes the event less appealing. And I have to say, it makes me kind of sad, you know, like I've seen all these different, um, you know, running events and cycling events going to some kind of virtual thing, um, you know, on Zwift or, you know, on Strava, which I think is great. And they should all be doing that. But I also realized, and I watched, I've watched some of these live broadcasts, live streams of Zwift cycling events. And it's just, it's just not, it's not the same. Yeah, I saw this past weekend the World Wings for Life one that Red Bull does. They did it via an app. So you ran then with the app and the app would tell you when you got caught by the pace car and everyone ran at the same time, like out on their own, which I thought that was really cool. That was like a really cool way to do it. Um, Right, right. To like kind of feel connected. Yeah, right. And I saw our friend Devin Yanko got fifth in the women. She made it. (laughs) She made it. 50 kilometers before she got caught. But <laughs> which that that whole thing is very crazy where you run until the car catches you. But but yeah, yeah, there are some obviously some interesting things you could do with virtual racing like that, but it is not. I mean, everyone's kind of feeling like it's not the same. It's not it's not yeah. like what they got into it for. Yeah, so. and, and one of the things I perceive in the world right now is that because so many of us are sequestered in our homes um uh, except for God bless them, first responders and, you know, essential employees have to go work in grocery stores or hospitals, thankful for them. But so many of us are kind of stuck at home. And so the world is hungry for community contact. Now, like I've just noticed, like, for instance, on Strava, I just see a lot more commenting and more activity on Strava, people talking to each other, more athletes. I've gone to some of these you know, live DJ sets on Instagram live or whatever. And I see it's not really about the music. It's really about the community contact and people are hungry for that now. So if virtual is the only way to do that on zoom or whatever, then it is. But I think whenever we can come back, people are really, really, really going to want to go out and see each other. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the things that I think will be interesting is kind of you know, eventually races will come back, whether it's this fall, whether it's next spring, whether it's not really, t- you know, till next year. Yeah. But there will be some changes that stick. You know, there will be some changes from all of this that that change the sport overall. And I'm wondering kind of what those will be. I think, you know, we because we will see the ability to have smaller races before we see bigger ones, you know, maybe it's doing more of your local small races this year. Like that might be your only option, you know, as opposed to big international events, maybe we see more local small sprints and, and yeah. I mean, mean, if you think about things like Kona, where you have athletes traveling in from all over the world, is that realistic this October, you know, hard to say. The New York- they said they're going to make a decision, just so everybody knows, by the end of uh, May is, I think, the, the current. Right. Like, they're going to make a decision by the end of May, right. and they're floating the idea of moving it to February. So, Okay, there you go. And then you cite the New York <laughs> Marathon, which is similar. I mean, 50,000 athletes from, like, 100 countries. You know, so <clears throat> and so I guess if, if maybe if smaller events are allowed, maybe – like, I was thinking – would it be like, would races start with like uh, 
you know, chip timing a mat, almost like a time trial, like people go off, Mm -hmm. like kind of one at a time. So even at the start, you're running separately and not in a huge group, but then how do aid stations work? I'm not quite sure. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's going to be really challenging. I mean, it's really, it's really hard to do an event with hundreds, if not thousands of people and keep people separated. Yeah. I mean, the one, I hate when people say the good thing to come out of a pandemic, cause you know, there, it's, it's a really bad situation, but the one good thing we're hearing kind of in the sport is there are a lot of new people getting out running, getting out on their bikes, um, you know, because gyms are closed, because cycling studios are closed, more and more people are kind of getting back to the basics when it comes to exercise. And so I'm hopeful that they'll stick around and, and join us when yeah. it's all over. I mean, I've been riding my bike all over around LA and the number of people that I have seen out on bikes and out running and walking is blowing my mind. I've never seen anything like it. Um, I'm going to ride a blog post this week about like the rebirth of bicycles. I've been on the phone with some friends who have bike shops. One has a bike shop in Oklahoma. He said April was his record month ever in history. And I was expecting like a sob story about, oh my God, nobody can spend a dime on on anything right now. And it's totally the opposite. And I have spoken to some brands that are having unbelievable record sales. And I've seen like, um, you know, I just did a news search for like bike boom. And it's happening all over the country. It's like in Ohio, in Texas, in Florida, in California. And I'm seeing people, like you said, like new people. I'm seeing people on like old mountain bikes with platform pedals, on road bikes. I saw this weekend going up Mount Baldy, which is the biggest climb in Southern California. I saw fixies like halfway up the climb. Oh, man. (laughs) You know, crazy on one hand. But the other hand, like, wow, that's so great. Like everybody is starting to appreciate the joy and the freedom of being out on a bike. And of course, maybe some of those people will not stick with it, but I feel like there will be a lot of people who will. Yeah. I'm hoping, you know, if, if, if we can all get through this, like that would be, that would be great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us and talking through all these different, you know, questions, even if we don't have answers right now. Okay. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for having me, Kelly. (laughs) Thanks. Okay. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye. You know, you don't want to miss anything coming up on the triathlete hour. So subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcast. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. Now the rest of the show. I'm here with Lindsay Corbin, uh, your previous American record holder, many time Ironman champ. Uh, thanks for joining us from, from Bend, Oregon, right? Yes. Thanks for having me. So is Bend like the new Boulder? Is it like the hot spot everybody is now? I don't know if it's the new Boulder, but I, my claim to fame is I actually grew up here. So I'm not like a new adapter. And, um, my other claim to fame is uh, I went to high school with Jesse Thomas. So Jesse Thomas... (laughs) both grew up here. We ran cross country together track. Um, but I left for 15 years and lived in Montana. And then when we wanted to leave Montana, Bend was on the short list and now we're back. So but, um, I actually, my other claim to fame is I've never spent the night in Boulder. I've only been for the day. So I can't really compare it to Boulder, but, um, we got mountains, rivers, uh, really outdoors community, tons of coffee shops. Um, not a lot of people work normal jobs here, but um, right. I don't know. great weather. So it's awesome. It yeah. seems like you have all the pro athletes now. Though I got to say, I think, I don't know, are, is Jesse, is Jesse really a claim to fame? Aren't you like more famous than Jesse now? Who has to claim who? No way. <laughs> he always wins. <laughs> so <laughs> you guys, you guys have been on quarantine though for a little while. You want to tell us, I mean, I feel like I have to ask every time I talk to somebody, what are the restrictions there? What are you able to do? Kind of how are you dealing with all that? Yeah, so we have been on stay-at-home orders, man, I think seven weeks or so, six weeks maybe. I don't remember the day it started. 
I think we're at a little over six and a half weeks, maybe. So since March and I've actually, we, me and my husband, Chris, have done a good job of actually staying home, which is rare. It's like a rare opportunity. I think this is actually the longest stretch that we've both been home, especially for this long. And yeah, we've been together the entire time. Chris actually was <laughs> the other day and I didn't go and he came home and I was like, dude, that was like the first time we've been apart for six hours in like six weeks. <laughs> it was really was that, weird. Was that like refreshing or was that like weird? It was kind of weird, but then it's kind of nice, but I'm super thankful that we get along awesome. And um, so yeah, it's been fun. But um, yeah, so we've been home, our pools closed, gyms closed. Um, I don't know. I think it's kind of similar to everyone else. We can go outside. So you can train outside if you want, but um, coming back from injury. So I've actually been doing most of my riding indoors and I've been getting outside though daily for like walks or now runs and just some fresh air, but um, pretty boring, pretty simple. Um, Just doing the best we can over here. I know. Eventually it starts to be like everyone's life is the same. We're all just sitting around our houses watching Netflix. Yeah. It is what it is. I like, I do can't believe how fast the days go by though. Like every day I'm like, how is it like nine o'clock already? Where did the day go? And what did I do? (laughs) You mentioned injuries. So I heard, uh, we've been talking about quarantine injuries and you got injured like the first day of quarantine. So you win. You've been the most quarantine injured, but what happened and how, I mean, that must've really made this tough because you couldn't even do anything. Right. Yeah. So this is pretty much like a double doozy. Not only are you quarantined, but you're also injured. And I probably got injured like two weeks before quarantine, which was perfect because, well, it's never perfect to be injured. (laughs) um, All the healthcare offices were still open. So I was able to get in for like MRIs, CT scans, doctor, physical therapy. So I was kind of two weeks into my injury, but um, I went down to Tucson to train with Heather Jackson, who's kind of my go-to training partner. And I hadn't even been there that long, maybe like 10 days. And I went on a run and just felt something kind of funny in my quad. So I did the walk of shame home. Right, Um, right. My last injury was in 2015. And that was like the year from hell. And like ever since then, I've just been like hypersensitive and aware to injuries and ailments and things. So yeah, so I did the walk of shame home. That was on a Thursday. And then Friday, I was like, yeah, this doesn't feel like a muscle this does not feel right. And then Saturday, I kind of like waited one more day. And then it was this awkward, like Heather and Paula Finley and Eric are just like drilling the training. And I'm sitting there being like, ah, do I go home? What do I do? So I changed my ticket and flew home to Bend. And um, by Monday, I was like, I just put myself on crutches and was like, ah, this has to be a stress fracture. Like, I've had a stress fracture in my left femur. And this just felt all too similar to that. Um, so yeah, I had an MRI and it came back clear, but I was like, nope, this is a stress fracture. And then um, I had a CT scan and a very minor stress reaction showed up. On okay. So, um, and it's um, in the shaft of my femur. And so that was um, almost nine weeks ago. So here we are. <laughs> right. So that means you can't, I mean, stress, cause stress reactions, stress fractures, like you can't run or bike in your femur. Like, do you pretty much haven't been able to do anything for a while? Right. Yeah. I mean, I pretty much treated it like it was a stress fracture. Um, just because I'd had one before in the left leg and yeah, we got like a bunch of blood work done and mm-hmm kind of my last stress fracture was more um, physiological reasons, like my hormones were out of whack and things like that. And this time, all that stuff actually came back good. My bone density has actually increased since 2015. So kind of like a freak thing, I think, as to why it happened, maybe some training errors. But um, yeah, we just, I couldn't, well, yeah, I couldn't swim. And then pretty much when I got cleared to swim after the two-week mark, all the pools closed. Right. So you're like, well, oh, well. (laughs) what am I going to do? Yeah. And then the biking, we basically took a month off the bike as well. Just my experience with injury is like, just shut it down and let it heal. Like you can't cross train your way through an injury. It's like, just not worth it. It's my opinion. So, and when there's no races, like, why are you trying to cross train and get really fit? (laughs) This is actually what I was trying to tell my coach. I was like, there is no races. Why are we, let's, let's just take a break, have fun. So you just been taking a break. Is this like a vacation from work? Like, how are you even dealing with, uh, 
because you basically then went from having a pretty busy day to having like nothing pretty empty day yeah. the schedule was wide open <laughs> I'm actually calling it my sabbatical from triathlon because I'm definitely I in my head would like to race three more years as a okay level professional and um maybe maybe more but in the gold star was kind of like all right we'll go a couple more years but um all good things eventually have to come to an end and then it's kind of like well what are you going to do next and um I credit my husband a lot for like pushing me in that department of like you got to start exploring some ideas in some areas of your life because you can't like run around in spandex and live this dream life forever (laughs) which is too bad but um yeah. And it's, I mean, yeah, it kind of was like perfect timing that all this happened at once, like the injury, um, the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> given me time to like sit and think about like what opportunities are there outside of professional triathlon, what would I be interested in? Um, so okay. I don't know, I guess that's kind of, um, what I've been doing. So, but yeah. I don't know. So you've been doing a lot of thinking, a lot of like self-examination. What have you, what have you decided? Like what, like now I'm really curious what other opportunities are out there. <laughs> I don't know. Like I haven't, I don't think I'll know exactly for sure till I'm done. And right. I do know that like my personality is all or nothing. So as soon as I'm like healthy and we know that there's races, like I'm going to be all in and be like pro triathlon is life. Like don't talk to me. I'm going to bed at 7 PM and getting up at 5 AM and swimming, biking, running, eating, sleeping, and that's it. But um, yeah, I don't, I guess like just exploring other things I'm interested in. Like I got really into yoga this winter, um, something different. And I was like all in thinking like, oh, maybe I'll do that 200 hour yoga teacher certification. But now that's off the schedule because of everything. Um, I've always been really into food and cooking. Um, My degree was in exercise science and physiology. So um, I've thought a lot about like sport nutrition and how I could maybe have an impact in that area. So, um, yeah, I just, I guess, I don't know, doing things outside triathlon. I think as a pro triathlete, like my life, I feel like was getting more and more narrow, the more mm-hmm. my careers I went. And it's like, you have to be Lindsay, the person, and you can't just be Lindsay, the athlete. Like there's, I don't know. I, when I got into the sport, I felt like I was a lot more multidimensional. In the last few years, it's feel like it's gotten very like Lindsay the triathlete, and I want to be Lindsay the person as well. So, okay. Do you have? I guess I feel like now we're like having a therapy session. But do you I have know. like a lot of like outside of tra- like outside of triathlon? I mean, you have to have like non triathlete friends, right? Who like don't even. They're like, "What are you doing? How long did you ride?" Yeah. Exactly. What? Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, I actually just realized recent like really recently that you went to UC Davis, which is right Mm -hmm. near me, like literally biked there yesterday, um, before you went to Montana. And so then you transferred to Montana, like quit running college track, like changed up everything, right? Yeah. What? So you were like a college track athlete, and then you moved to Montana, found triathlon. What kind of inspired that? And how did that? Yeah, so I basically, yeah, I was in Montana, and I was kind of looking for some new friends and things to do. And so I joined the University of Montana club triathlon team, I was studying exercise physiology, and a lot of the people in the physiology department were on the triathlon team. And so yeah, I guess I kind of joined the club team as a social outlet. And Ben Hoffman was on the team. Okay, so I was going to ask is if you guys were there at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ben and I were. We like race Wildflower together, and we have many good memories together. <laughs> I beat Ben in one triathlon once. That's my other good claim to fame. Is he went to Argentina to study abroad, and he came back and was like, you couldn't even recognize him because he <laughs> had eaten so much Argentine steak and wine. And <laughs> we did a race and I beat him. So that was awesome. But, um, well, so he, he explained to us on the podcast that you get to claim then the results of anyone you beat for the rest of your life. So I did. Yes. I saw that. So he beat Jan. And since I beat Ben, basically I've beaten Jan. Right. 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 So Jan, like, yeah, you're nothing. (laughs) (laughs) What is it about Montana though? Like, why are there so many good triathletes that come out of Montana? Like, What I learned like from training in Montana and the Montana triathletes is this work ethic of like badass, like we would train in the snow, the wind, the hail, like the, 
like you hear about people that are like, oh, I ran five miles uphill in the snow, but like we actually did do that. (laughs) We had this crazy coach, Chad Latino, that oversaw our club team and he would just like get in your face and just yell like, put your shoes on. You're not going to, you know, it was just like all the stuff out of the movies. But yeah, I just think like the mountains, the elements, the simplicity of life in Montana, um, we'd see a mountain and we'd go climb it. Um, a lot of the people in Montana, yeah, just have this salt of the earth, you know, no ego, just like freaking give your best effort. And it was a lot more about experiences than maybe results or outcomes. And I think that definitely like, not necessarily paved the way because I think I've always had like a good work ethic in me, but I feel like that maybe broke open the shell and opened my eyes to like, all right, like, here's how you can get it done. Um, So yeah. And um, when I was finishing school, it was 2006 and everyone in the physiology lab was doing Ironman Coeur d'Alene. And I'd only been doing triathlon like two years and pretty much I got like peer pressured into doing Ironman (laughs) Coeur d'Alene. And I was like, all right, sure. Why not? And um, So that was going to be not only my first Ironman, but um, I did not swim when I started triathlon. So I was in my late twenties when I figured out how to swim. And (laughs) Two weeks before Coeur d'Alene, I was freaking out about the swim because it was a mass start with like 2,000 or whatever people. And my friends were joking. They're like, well, if you get your pro card, you get a head start. And so I like basically submitted all my race results to USAT and I got my pro card so that I could have a head start and not have to do the mass start in the swim. So now you're like, okay, okay. Ironman, but also my first pro race. So that's really funny. Uh, that's a pretty, I feel like that's a good reason to go pro, right? Like head start, mm-hmm. small field. Yeah, totally. Exactly. So my, yeah, I've never done the pro start, like the mass start in Kona or anything. Can't relate. Oh, man. I'm not, I have no regrets. <laughs> <laughs> no regrets. Yeah, it's a different thing, right? It's a totally like, I mean, they don't really do mass starts anymore, but it's a totally different thing. Yeah. You had a lot of success really early though, right? I mean, you were like fifth at Kona, like pretty, pretty quickly after that, Mm -hmm. after going pro, you had like the fastest American Ironman record at one point. So did you, I mean, to have that much success so early, I feel like could either be really awesome or really stressful, right? (laughs) Like, I don't know which it would be. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was pretty awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Looking back though, I think I didn't appreciate as much like how awesome it was. And like Mm -hmm. Kona, the year I was fifth is like a dream. Like, even when it was happening, it was like, is this even ha- like, who am I and what am I doing this far up in the race? But I don't think like I took the time to appreciate it or a lot of my early Ironman wins. It was just like, oh, cool. I won an Ironman. Let's go win another one. Or like, what can right. I do? And I think that um, probably that was a detriment to my career because um, the better I did, like the more I pushed to try to do better than the time before. And so I definitely see my career kind of in two parts um, where there was like the younger Lindsay that was more sporadic and not necessarily like that confident in myself because I think that I didn't have the confidence to like rest and recover or chill out. It was just like, we got to do one better. We got to be more epic than we were before. And then in 2013, I started working with my current coach and I think he definitely has been like, dude, chill out. (laughs) (laughs) And let's bring it down a notch. And since 2014 was kind of my first year working with Jesse, I've adapted way more to like consistency is key and being more moderate and average week after week after week um, leads to way, not way better, but leads to like just as great of success. So I feel like I've been way more consistent of an athlete um, since 2014 than I was from 2006 to 2014. Well, you actually are like a very consistent athlete, right? Like I forget the stat last year at Kona, but you've been there more times than anyone else, right? It's like you've been 15 times or something to Kona. Like the only year you missed was like that one with the stress fracture. Yeah. It's something like that, right? Like, I mean, I pulled that off the top of my head, but. No, you're good. Yeah. So I've done (laughs) Kona every year, but 2015 when I broke my femur. So yeah, who would have (laughs) thought? Well, how do you have, I mean, that's like an interesting I don't know, an interesting career. Like, how do you have that kind of longevity? What like lessons do you think you've learned about like being that consistent over the years? Like what kind of, cause you know, it's hard to do. What kind of tips would you give somebody about being consistent and, and steady? Yeah. I think one thing I pride myself a lot on is like adapting and changing. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, my first Ironman, I think I went 10.06 and qualified oh. for Krona. Like as a pro. That, female. I, I don't think that would happen anymore. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh-uh, yeah. Yeah. There's no way. And now you pretty much have to go 9.06 to qualify. <laughs> But through like, as the sport has changed and progressed, I feel like I have adapted and progressed as well and changed how I've trained. Um, So yeah, I mean, I think the consistency definitely more so like with the training has been a little bit with like listening to your body, maybe checking the ego at the door, having that courage or that confidence to be like, okay, take an easy day here, easy day there, or backing off the intervals if you're not feeling it. Um, Yeah. And then more so now as I'm moving through my career, um, focusing on things like recovery, nutrition, like every, as the women have gotten faster, you have to like turn the dial 1% more. And it's like, I'm the tube of toothpaste and how are we going to squeeze like every last drop out of my tube? (laughs) And how can we do that as best you can? You do feel, I mean, I feel like the women have gotten a lot faster over the last 10, 15 years, the competition's really elevated. Someone tried to convince me that that wasn't the case, but I think it is. Like, I feel like you would agree with me on that. Oh, a hundred. Like, I mean, I was, I think I've also been like an early adapter to a lot of things. Like I was one of the first people to start Zwift and I definitely was one of the first people with a power meter, but I look at the power numbers that I set the American record with in 2014 or the power numbers that I was pushing in 2012 and they're nowhere close to the numbers I'm pushing now. So on paper, I'm like the best athlete I've ever been right now. And even then, like I'm not in the zip code of Daniela or, you know, some of the other top women in the sport. So we're all getting better. (laughs) Oh, for sure. For sure. And, um, what do you do? I mean, you kind of mentioned this, but I've been thinking about it for, when you're in the sport for that long and you have been so good for that long, you know, top 10 so many times at Kona, how do you keep motivating yourself? Like what kind of goal do you set then for the next year? Does that make sense? Yeah. Just use top 10 again. Just top 10 again. Just do it again. (laughs) No, I mean, I would say that I, like I'm a competitor at heart. So initially like right off the bat, I'd be like, well, what gets me out of bed each day is the thought of like winning races. Mm -hmm. I love to win. I don't know anyone that doesn't love to win. Like winning is fun. Winning is fun. (laughs) Um, What's been great about what we're going through now with the pandemic is like, you've take away races. Like we probably aren't going to race again this year. That's kind of the mindset I have in my head. And so then like, what's your why? Because the thought of winning a race isn't going to drive me to like get up and train yet. I'm still like cranking out five by five minutes on the bike or eight by three minutes today. Like I'm still doing these hard workouts. And I think at the root of it is that I love pushing myself and seeing what I'm capable of. And that eventually like that leads to, I think, performance and winning races and doing well. But, um, the process of like, how good can I be? Um, yeah, I, I guess that ultimately that's, yeah. Personal satisfaction of just like pushing yourself. And I guess I'm a little bit of a daredevil too. Like you (laughs) always want to be that limit of like pushing yourself all the way to the edge. And then can you take it one step further? Are you going to like fall off and break your femur? (laughs) <laughs> you're like, oh, bro, my fever went too far. <laughs> Hate it when that happens. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot on this, you know, in the last few weeks about process-oriented versus outcome-oriented goals, and I feel like that's what a lot of people are kind of re-examining right now. Like, why do I do this? Yeah, you know, if I don't have a race, so because you also went not to get like super super into Lindsay, but like you went a f- quite a few years there between like your last year, like there was like four years between Ironman wins for a little while there while you like were injured and were changing. And I feel like you had to believe that you were going to come back around eventually, right? You had to like believe that it was still there, I would think, I would imagine. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, the year that I broke the femur 2015 was huge because I didn't handle the injury well. I like um, was kind of in denial of it at first. And then (laughs) everyone told me to like go on crutches and that it was a really serious injury. And I kind of ignored them and thought like, oh, it doesn't hurt. I can still cross train. And um, I had a bunch of stuff going on internally with hormones and things like that. Um, So I just didn't let the injury heal. And I pretty much went like a whole year of just not being healthy. And so coming back from that though, like, I guess, yeah, I just had that fire burning inside of me. I mean, 
I feel like I've also been the underdog a lot. And so like, just have a point to prove. And maybe that was kind of motivation to keep pushing. And I knew like with the close team and people that were around me, like, Oh, you still like have the talent. It's still there. Keep pushing. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that probably was why I kept training and working towards it. And then um, I was second at Ironman cans and pretty close to winning that year. I got a penalty. So maybe I would have won no penalty. And then the next year I went on to win Ironman Canada. And I remember like my winning pictures of holding the banner. I'm just like crying like a baby. So like none of <laughs> are up in the house. Cause I just was like, yeah. And it's similar to like what we're going through now, the greater the challenge, like the sweeter the reward. So like that win was probably like so special to me at that time because I'd overcome so much crap in the two years kind of leading up to that. Um, and then, Yeah. I've had a pretty good role since then. <laughs> pretty good, yeah. So you said uh, you said your kind of goal plan is like three more years, give or take. And I know like last year you talked about doing, like you were trying different things, but you went back to try- doing like more Ironman races because that's like what you like and are good at. Yeah. Um, so kind of is that like, what's your plan, you know, assuming we get back to racing eventually, is it like doing a bunch of Ironmans for the next few years and then piecing out? Like what's the, what's the goal? <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I think I will always like I was saying to someone the other day, like, I don't want to retire because then I'm not going to be like an athlete anymore. And they're like, dude, you're going to be like an athlete. Like, be just because you're not a professional athlete doesn't mean you're like not going to be an athlete. But for sure, I um, appreciate and admire the people that specialize in 70.3 racing. But that's just not like my DNA. I've just embraced that. Like, I'm the diesel engine that can freaking go all day long and pretty much the watts that I pushed for 70.3, I pushed for an Ironman. So (laughs) like for years, I just denied it and was like, I want to race every weekend. I'd rather be like a 70.3 specialist. And I, I've like worked to try to become a 70.3 specialist and it just does not work. It's not there. So I've just now been like, dude, just do three Ironmans a year. Like it brings you joy. It brings you satisfaction. I think it's actually helped me with Kona because I don't go to Kona with like all this pressure of like, this is your a race. Like you have to, you know, like I've learned to appreciate that Kona is kind of a, a beast on its own. So, um, I would love to win a few more Ironmans and do a few bucket list Ironmans. And then, um, I freaking love like the endurance. So gravel racing, um, trail running, like those are both events that kind of appeal to me. And I like the aspect of, just something different. So maybe I'll start moving direction towards some of those races as well. You'll try some of those like crazy ultra four day things. Yeah. Well, no, I actually love everything. <laughs> and I think I don't do well on no sleep. So I don't foresee any like 24 hour, but um, I've crewed, my coach did a trail run and I crewed him for that a 50 K. And I definitely was like, that looks pretty freaking awesome. Um and yeah, I mean, just seeing like the Western States 100, that looks pretty sweet too. I've definitely followed that every year it's on. So, um, but for now I'm like, I got to table those thoughts. <laughs> yeah, probably. And I got like, you're gonna have to run pretty fast at Western States, like it done in less than 24 hours. So <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> to work on that. Yeah. I mean, you've also, I know. I mean, you talked about this earlier, but I know you kind of started some other side businesses too. You have like kind of a food business, Hazel and Blue, which I feel like we should plug because you're going to be doing recipes for our May challenge. We're doing like a May challenge for triathlete and Lindsay's going to be supplying recipes every week and like yeah. nutrition advice. So, you know, how did you start that? Why did you decide to start that? Is that, is that your future? All right. Business? First of all, it's not a business. <laughs> okay. It is a side project, but, um, Yeah, I grew up in a household where like we ate dinner every night at the table together. We always had home cooked meals. We rarely ate out. Um, My dad's an awesome chef. My mom did a lot of the cooking for us growing up and then um, my sister and I, but a lot of those values have like carried over to me as an adult. And so I do a lot of the cooking for my husband and myself. And yeah, last year um, we were in Ireland at an Irish pub. drinking some Guinness and Chris husband is like into the marketing. Um, that's his business. And he basically was just like, you should start a, a food page. Like, you know, triathletes, well, not triathletes, everyone loves to eat, right? Like right. no matter who you are. 
Um, but triathletes really love to eat. And this yes. was like, you've got this amazing gift in the kitchen and you should share it with other people. And um, my eyes are hazel. And then Chris, my husband, his eyes are blue and he does photography and marketing. And so he was like, I'll do like the marketing end of it and take awesome pictures of all your amazing food. And you just have to like share what you're eating and cooking and we'll go from there. So I don't really know what direction it's going to head exactly, but um, a lot of people were asking for recipes and I don't necessarily cook with a recipe. A lot of times I'll just like throw stuff together. And my sister actually has written a cookbook and she owns a wine bar in Portland, Oregon. And so I was talking to her about what was going on and she's like, well, I'll help you with the recipe end of it. So now we got to add like a third eye color to the name, hazel blue and brown. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, I just like, I think it's also um, a lot of times when I do Q&As with triathletes, what comes up first is the question about like nutrition and food. Yes. And I think it's like the number one way you can improve as an athlete. I think I see like certain athletes with limiters and I think the nutrition aspect is a huge limiter with triathletes, especially with Ironman athletes and, you know, a few simple changes and you know, you could, that can change your race. Um, so yeah, just, so to share that with other people, um, would be awesome. And I don't know, like I said, exactly the direction it's going. I'm just putting stuff out there and seeing, what piques people's interest, like what they want to see, what they're interested in, what they don't want to see. And maybe it'll be something for post-career, but right now it's just for fun. It's just for fun. Well, yeah, yeah no, we get so many questions. People always want to know about nutrition. So, so what are the little things you would say then that you see as limit? Like if, if you were going to say, you know, you could change these things and be way faster at Ironman. Yeah. What are the tips that you would suggest? Oh man, right off the bat. And this was actually like a mistake that I made is, um, just like with the training, you know, I go back to like focusing on that consistency, just laying a, a session after session and, um, taking in recovery drinks or recovery mm-hmm. fuel. Um, like for me personally, I would run an hour and I would think like, okay, that wasn't like epic or hardcore that doesn't re- deserve a recovery shake or a chocolate milk or anything. But the reality is like, if you swim for an hour and a half in the morning, you do like an hour run and you don't eat properly or like restore those glycogen and protein, you know, rebuilding your muscles, like it's not going to set you up well for the workout the next day or even two days later. Um, so yeah, so for me, adding in recovery drinks was huge. Like I'm pretty, that's like a no question. Even I had to delay this podcast five minutes to get my recovery drink. <laughs> she's like, she's like drinking it while we're talking. Yeah. <laughs> Pandemic with no races anytime soon, but um, and then I think also like the quality and the amount of food that you eat. Um, I don't think, um, I don't think you can just, just cause you're like burning matches and burning fuel. I don't think you can just eat McDonald's. Sorry to, um, Sam. You Walton. don't believe in the whole, yeah. The, if the fire's hot enough, anything will burn philosophy. <laughs> I, mean, I do to an extent, like, I mean, especially with like Ironman training, but I think that like a big thing that I've learned, um, is the timing of like, if you are going to eat a cookie, eat it like within the window of a workout. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think I would love to share with people just like even the quality and the quantity of the amount of food, like that was for me, I probably under fueled for the first four or five years of my professional triathlete career, because I came from a running background where we ate a lot of lettuce without (laughs) dressing on it, you know, and realizing like, if you're especially training for an Ironman, like that takes a lot of fuel um, to do that. So, and then also like, I don't really have a lot of time to cook. So I definitely am like no fuss what's quick and easy, but also can like taste good. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I'm going to, like, I'm going to get you to like get on the food board. I know you said before that you were like kind of anti, I'm going to like, I I told her, I was like, I don't really want to talk about nutrition, but here we are talking about nutrition. We're going to flip the switch and I'm just going to be what you today? <laughs> oh, tell us. But yeah, yeah you are going to do a bunch of like recipes for us over uh, over the course of this like May challenge month. So that'll yeah. be cool for people. So people should go on our site on Sundays. I think we're going to have the recipes and stuff from from Lindsay. So and I already chatted with my sister, and she's like super pumped on. It. And she's not a triathlete at all, so it's kind of fun to like bring in this like outside view of like you should do this. And so we've got some cool ideas. So I'm excited. It'll be fun. All right. the COVID cool. project, like the timing of it all is like, 
I've never been a meal planner, but like now, cause you only go to the grocery store once a week, you got to like actually think this stuff through and got a little bit more time to like flow around the kitchen and cook. So just embrace Yeah. It. Yeah. The whole COVID thing, it's become clear to me. I ate out like all my meals. Cause I don't know. I'm like, well, I don't know what to do now. So. <laughs> but you mentioned, I mean, Chris does your husband, Chris does a ton of like marketing and social media and he comes with you to all of your races and he does like amazing photos. I've seen him at races, like laying in the middle of the bike course, like taking pictures of you. And that's really been I feel like a big advantage for you when it comes to, you know, being a triathlete as a business, you always have like amazing photos, social media, marketing. I mean, do you feel like that's been helpful? How do you, how do you guys kind of work that out that he's like part of your business, right? Yeah. So it actually was pretty cool how it got started was, um, Chris came to all my races early on. I don't, I mean, I guess just we get along well. Anyways, he came to, he's always come to most of my races, but he came to Wildflower the first or second time I did it. And this was like first generation iPhone. And Chris is not a triathlete. He's a huge fisherman, outdoors dude. He doesn't know like any of the pro field, what's going on. And he got bored while I was racing and decided to like record some snippets of the race. And I finished Wildflower and got hauled off to like drug testing or whatever. And then I re-meet up with Chris and he's like, yeah, I just like made this video on my iPhone because I was bored. Um, we should like put it up on YouTube. What do you think? And I was like, sure, why not? And this was like, sure. yeah, this was before Twitter, before like Facebook, any of that. And that's pretty much like what started it was that Chris, like for the first year, just would like shoot video on his iPhone while I was racing. And then put it into YouTube and we created these like race day videos. And then with that, like Twitter came and then Facebook and then Instagram came. And it's actually pretty cool because Chris was doing work in the um, like water law, environmental studies um, realm. And like, because of what he was doing for me, he's now like created a career for himself where he manages digital marketing for a bunch of different brands. So he basically studies and, um, does uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, um, that sort of digital media management for brands. And so I get the perk of being <laughs> to the specialist. So sometimes I feel like it is an unfair advantage for sure, because he's, I feel like pretty cutting edge and keen on that. But um, I've always like people ask for advice and that. And I always am like, just try to be authentic as you can and just tell your story. And we've tried to maintain like, true to that in a lot of my posts. So he doesn't ever post for me. He never has. He doesn't comment for me. He doesn't. It's all, it's all me behind the screen. But um, he definitely has a camera and takes amazing pictures. So yeah, which is helpful. Yeah, because you know, right after a race, it's hard to get. It's hard to get pictures. So it's always good to have somebody. Yeah. Yep, totally. And it definitely has helped um, as far as like sponsors and working with the brands that I have. I feel super fortunate that like my core group of sponsors have been with me for most of my career, if not all of it. Um, Saucony and Cliff Bar have been for since 2007. Um, and I'm sure that that is because of Chris. So yeah, it's been awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I noticed that in the note of like how long you kind of been in the sport and the consistency, you've had pretty much the same sponsors for forever, even at a time when, you know, so much has been changing in triathlon. So many people get like change contracts, contract tracks, because there's just a lot going on, right? Like you hear this every year. Um, so yeah, like keep the same people is is pretty crazy. Yeah, no, I definitely have immense gratitude towards it. And then as you go through something that like we're going through now, you're just like, yeah, you just realize how awesome it is um, to have their support and what a rare opportunity it is. So, yeah, Everyone I did want to ask you, uh, kind of, I guess, a little bit on that note. Like, since you've been around for you know so long, uh, no. I feel like we're the same age. No. It's, it's like <laughs> I feel like I'm still twenty five. Can I be twenty five forever? <laughs> You're like, oh man. But like, what have you seen change then? in the sport, you know, I mean, you kind of got, you've seen like so many different waves, so many different, you mentioned like, you know, it's, a, you have to be an hour faster now to qualify for Kona, obviously like sponsorships have kind of changed. Yeah. Like, what do you, what do you think has been like the biggest change in triathlon? I mean, I would say two things off the bat, which I already hinted at. And one <laughs> is just that the women have gotten so much faster and the depth of field. Um, yeah. I remember I used to pace myself for 70.3. 
And like, I would need this detailed race plan from my coach. And like, literally we have a five minute pre-race talk now before 70.3. And it's like, all right, we're just going to go as hard as we can from the gun and make Pretty much, yeah. drink and hold on for dear life. So I think that the way that the sport has actually progressed is huge. And then we sort of just hinted on it, but I think um, digital media and how that has had an impact on athlete sponsorship and sharing stories. And um, yeah, I think that that's sort of been the other big change that I've seen. Yeah, I could see that. And, uh, and then like, obviously no one really knows what happens going forward, but I guess, you know, what are your, your plans, your goals? I feel like I usually ask people and then I just feel bad right now, but yeah, what do you kind of see yourself doing? I think, well, I'm just now returning to running Mm -hmm. 14 minutes today. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but once, you know, I think in like two more weeks, I'll, I'll feel a bit more confident with the running and, and good there. And then I'll probably... I actually went off my coaching plan with my coach, which is like, it was kind of weird, but um, I've just been free floating around doing my own thing. So I'll probably reconvene with him. And then I think I'm going to set some alternative goals that are like not traffic, but still athletic related. Um, Okay. So yeah, I think um, we have a, we have a few mountains around here I'd like to climb. And it's like, that's like one of the cool things is like never in May, do you have like the freedom to like kind of pick and choose what you want to do? Right. Like normally it's right. super key workouts. They got to be this pace, this wattage. And now we have like a bit more freedom. So depending on like the way things go, um, it'd be cool to do a couple like pretty epic long endurance rides. So just planning some routes around Oregon of like places I haven't seen yet, but um, discovering places on bicycles is like one of my favorite things of just like, using your own body to get to see some cool things. So yeah, I'll probably make some physical goals that are sort of related to triathlon, but not completely. Um, yeah, I'd like to climb a couple of the mountains. Um, Central Oregon has a lot of volcanoes around it. So um, do some climbing, maybe riding and yeah. And then I don't know, I, I'll just, I, don't know. I mean, yeah, it's hard to know what's going to happen with racing. I don't, I don't foresee myself being, I guess I want to like, get to a level of fitness where if racing did happen in the fall, I would be physically able to like sharpen up within a month. Right. But I also am not like aiming to hit peak fitness in July kind of deal either. So no. three months is my window. I was like, I just want to be able to turn it around in three months. That's <laughs> so. Lots. I mean, that's where I'm at now is I definitely am at like base starting from ground zero. I'm like even more negative than I was in off season right now. <laughs> I did take a a full pretty much month off of everything, but, um, yeah, I feel like if you can get to like decent aerobic fitness and then have a month to like sharpen up and then maybe two weeks to taper, you can actually, with my background and years of base training in my life, (laughs) sharpen up good. But, um, yeah, I mean, hoping for the best that we can race this fall, but man, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. I don't know either. It is even if it does happen, it's going to be crazy because there's going to be it's going to like look different. They're going to have to make changes. And if all the races go off like planned, there's, you know, five races on one weekend. I don't even know how that's going to happen. Yeah. And even now I'm like, dude, there's going to be some fast bike splits. because <laughs> We were talking beforehand about the virtual racing and just I feel like not many people are able to swim right now running is maybe even somewhat limited. So everyone's just riding their bikes and it's going to be like, it, it, yeah, it'll just be interesting to see who comes out of this and like what kind of shape form, like, right. I've actually been pretty laid back mentally about it. Um, whereas like, I, like you could be burning matches right now. Like if you have anxiety about like all these races that are missing and fitness that's gone, like that's going to come up and rear its ugly hug head and six months, you know, I don't know. I feel like, Oh, for sure. Some people, I mean, I think people are either going to come out really fit or like super burned out. Right. Like those are the choices. So yeah, totally. Yeah. Hopefully I'll be somewhere in the middle or, or the <laughs> <laughs> like either way. Experiment. <laughs> All right. So we've been doing like weird, would you rather's at the end of the episodes. And here's my question for you, which I feel like, I feel like I might know this, but given like your, your consistency and like years of doing this, would you rather be able to do triathlon in some capacity for the rest of your life or have one amazing season, like win everything, but you're like super injured and then you can't do it again. 
Well, that's, that's I am. <laughs> people have been like, oh, whoa. This is new. I haven't listened to the last few podcasts. This is a new edition, and I don't know if I like it. Man, I don't. I'd probably I wonder how injured would I get? I don't know. But you know, like, you know, when you go really, really hard and you like win something, but then you just like, you can't again, right? You're just done. Yeah, I'd probably go the latter just because I know that I don't know. Why not go big or go home? Go big or go home. Right? Exactly. Like, right? I'm going to be like, lose my legs and not be able to correct <laughs> my life. Then like, hell no, I want option A. <laughs> okay. No losing your legs. Fair point. I knew what you rather. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, thank you so much for joining us, Lindsay, and then for chatting about everything, you know, yes. all the stuff. Thanks to everyone that listened and see you all at the races on the other side. <laughs> Thanks to Peter and Lindsay for the insightful conversation. Thanks to our staff and editors, and thanks to all of you for listening. If you like what you hear, consider leaving us a rating or sharing these episodes with your fellow triathletes. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, stay healthy and stay safe.